we are talking about rhythms. Now, we all have rhythms. Now, we all don't have rhythm singular, okay? Again, William Seeley, do you have rhythm? You do have rhythm. That, dude, that was awesome tonight. I mean, for you to join Peter, Paul, and Mary up there on the stage, that was, that was, that was no thanks to the alleys too. But, but we all have rhythms, meaning we all have ways of marking our lives, the way that we go about our business, the way that we, we order and structure our time. And one of the things that, that we talked about last time are how powerful rhythms are. You know, rhythms have enormous potential and potency in shaping our souls and the fabric of our lives. And I was just thinking about that this week, where, where apparently some sort of event is happening on Labor Day weekend here in Tallahassee. It's the onset of, of football season. And, and just thinking about the rhythm that is known as FSU football. And it's not unique to FSU, but certainly for, for other communities across the South, they're inhabited by crazies. You see what a potent rhythm it is. Think about this for a second. You may be in here tonight, and you may absolutely hate football. You don't know who FSU's quarterback is. You could care less. You wish it would all go away. But I promise you that particular cultural rhythm exerts an incredible influence upon you, doesn't it? Don't you dare schedule a wedding on the day of an FSU home game. Don't you dare. Don't ask me to marry you on, well, it depends. It depends on who they're playing, right? Now, I will say my dad, I mean, my mom did not know this till years later, but my dad actually scheduled their wedding day around Tennessee away game. I mean, that, that, was, just, that was just the way it is. That's how powerful rhythms are. You're already emailing, you're talking, you're in the tickets and tailgating and planning. You don't dare, like, try to drive downtown, right, during the middle of an FSU game unless you're going to the game. These are all, like, ways that this rhythm, this cultural rhythm that we have, shapes us. Now, now that's not to, to lend judgment upon that particular one. There's probably nothing wrong with FSU football. There is probably something really wrong with a lot of our hearts, right? And so, but it does show the, 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 the power, the potency of, of, of rhythms. And last time we talked about this idea that rhythms either push us towards what Cosper calls enchantment or disenchantment. And remember, we're not talking about like silly, you know, start... Sorry, Matt Russo. Silly Star Wars things. We're not talking about Harry Potter and the and the Abada Kedavra curse. Or I mean, the, here's the way that that Cosford defines enchanted and disenchanted. And, and I think these might be on your sheet. And he, he reminds us an enchanted world is one that is permeated by God's grace and filled with His presence. It's a world where everything is being reconciled and made new in Jesus. And that's happening. That is reality. You might have been sleeping last night, but God was not sleeping. He was making all things new. Even if someone doesn't believe in God, doesn't make this an untrue reality. It's, it's the world that we inhabit. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. A disenchanted world, on the other hand, and, and, and remember, you don't have to be an atheist to be disenchanted. Some of us in here might be disenchanted. A disenchanted world is not necessarily a, a world where God and religion don't exist. A disenchanted world is where God and religion are superfluous, or they're unneeded, or they're 
irrelevance, okay? And, and uh, Dallas Willard uses this term biblical deism. Biblical deism. In other words, it's very easy to slide into this idea that, that God was there when we were born, and that was important. He was there when we got saved, and that's really important. He's going to be there at the end when we go to heaven. That's also important. But in between, we're just kind of like just doing our thing and struggling and living life and doing the best we can and, and slugging it out. And when, and when we come to those places in our, in our lives and hearts, and we all do, it's a, it's a sure sign that we've become disenchanted. We have failed to see reality as it truly is. And so what Mike Cosper's been pushing us towards is this idea that we need spiritual rhythms. We need ways of marking time. We need pathways that will help us to resync with reality. We need to, 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 be a, to be reawakened to spiritual truths. And I often kind of, kind of call this, and, and by the way, these things called rhythms, the church has been talking about them for thousands of years. They're really just called spiritual disciplines. Okay? They're called spiritual disciplines. They're the smelling salts of the Christian faith is, is, is a way that I like to think about it. You know, when you're, I mean, boxing is not such a big, now, big deal now. Now it's like ultimate fighting and the, the, the legalized thuggery that happens inside the octagon. But, you know, when, when a guy is knocked out, okay, they're, they're waving those smelling salts under his nose. Have you, has anyone ever smelled some of those, by the way? Oh, Rachel, you have? Yeah. What do they smell like? Awful. Awful, okay. So it's to get your, it's to wake them up and get their attention. But in a lot of ways, the, the disciplines, the spiritual discipline, uh, disciplines, the rhythms are meant to serve the same function in our lives as to wake us up and to say, hey, we are living in a real world that's inhabited by the Spirit of God who's making all things new, who's work, doing a work of grace. It's so easy to become numb to that, so easy to become, um, again, to use a phrase, disenchanted, to, to, to be deceived into thinking that this life, what we can see, taste, touch, put our hands on, that's what's real. Okay, so our, our, our checkbook, that's the most real thing. Or, or how politics, how the political arena is, is doing, that's the most real thing. And rhythms, Costa reminds us, are, are to snap us out of that and to reorient us, to resync us with spiritual reality. So, so last week we left here and, and we said, here, do a couple of things. One is just do a spiritual inventory. Do, do a little bit of an audit on your rhythms, your spiritual rhythms, your, your life rhythms, and, and Megan, that doesn't bother me at all, so you can, like, bring him up here. I'll just bring him on. Okay. Oh, okay, good, okay. You, you know, do an inventory. How do we order our lives as a family or as a couple or as a student? What do I do in the morning? What do I do in the evening? How do I, what's, how do I engage God in his word and in prayer? What are, the, what, are my, what are my habits? You know, I saw an interesting uh, statistic. I think it was today. For the person under 30 years of age spending an, uh, an average of 15 hours a week on social media. Now, not the internet, just social media. I see a few people in here who still don't know what social media is, okay? So, so, so God bless you, and, and you're probably better for it. Let me, just, let me just be really clear about that. We said do an audit, do an audit and then go to, to Cosper's book, this last little pathway that he has, and, and look at what he calls a rule. And remember, a rule is just an order of life. It's, it's, 
it's, it's a written form of kind of like how we structure our day, how we structure our week, how we structure our, our years, our months. Um, and, 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 as, and I said, you know, one of the goals of this time is that you would walk away, um, you know, not committing your life to your, yourself to a life of monasticism in the desert, but, but having some greater awareness of what you do on a daily, a weekly, a monthly, a yearly basis, and how it, how it points us towards God. And, and whether you write it down or not, that's, that's kind of, that's, that's, that's up to you. But I want to say something about that as we're getting into tonight's material, and I want to address this, put a finer point on a little bit of our discussion about that, and maybe some misunderstandings that were, that, that, that may have arisen from our discussion of this last time. Number one, remember, we all have rhythms, you cannot not have a rhythm. You cannot not have a rule, okay, or an order of life. The question is, is it spiritually productive or unproductive, all right? So, so remember that. We all have one, whether you've written it down or you've not written it. We all, we all order our lives in some particular way. We get up at this time. We, this is the first thing we do when we get up. This is the last thing we do when we go to bed. This is, you know, you, you get the idea. Number two we, and, and, and Bo Pittman asked this question last time, and I thought it was a really good question that I did not give a very good answer to, and so I want to address it again. It, can, can this be like a, just a, another form of legalism or rigidity or, or spiritual rigidity? And, and absolutely, it, it really could. I think for most of us, and I'll speak for myself, if I'm going to fall off the horse on one end, one side or the other, it's not going to be towards legalism, okay? For me, it's going to be towards hey, whatever, you know, that, that, sort of, that sort of mentality. But just remember that rhythms are not the goal per se, okay? You can have amazing set of rhythms but have a heart that's hard as a rock, okay? Rhythms are the mean, they're not the goal, they are the means to a goal. They are, they are you know, you don't, you don't worship your fitness facility. Go there. You know there's people that work. That's their shrine, right? That's, that's the altar. That's they, they offer themselves up every day at 5 a.m. or whatever it is. That's not the goal. It's, the goal. It's, it's a means to a goal towards healthy lifestyle and fitness. The same thing with rhythm. Same thing with a rule of life. It's a, it's a means to commune with Christ. To, to be spiritually in tune with him, receiving from him, giving, giving to others. Remember that these are obligations. They're not obligations, but they're opportunities. They're not checklists, but they're invitations. Also remember, there, th- this is not some hidden form of, of Roman Catholicism we're trying to slip in here tonight, okay? So remember, rhythms, disciplines all predated the Roman Catholic Church, a lot of them are rooted in a monastic sort of way of life of retreating from the desert, but we don't embrace that either. Isn't it interesting, okay, I, I point this out, in the Sermon on the Mount, which is probably that portion of Scripture that speaks most clearly and directly about spiritual disciplines, what, what are some of those disciplines that Jesus addresses in the Sermon on the Mount? What are some of those? Praying. What else? What now? Fasting, good. Giving. giving. These are all like offering your sacrifice. You know, these are all like things. But in that same passage, Jesus doesn't say, go, with, go with, withdraw from the world, retreat from the world in order to better do these things. This is the same Jesus in the same passage that says, you're salt and light. 
You're, you're, as the Christian community, you're a, you're a city set on a hill. That's something that monasticism lost in sort of that Benedictine order. You know, if you've heard of this book by Rod Dreher, the, the, the Benedict Option, where he is advocating, he's, he's a Roman Catholic, he's advocating, he's a Christian, good guy, but he's definitely advocating, like, if the Christian community is going to maintain its identity, it has to completely withdraw from culture, right? It has to become a city within a city. And that's not the purpose of this, is to, is to debate that tonight. But clearly, that's not the, the sort of course that we are trying to plot here. We, we, we are called to, to, to be in this world, certainly not of it. Um, as Christians, though, in the West, we're clearly going to, to fall off the side of being more adapted, conformed to the world. And I think rhythms can really serve us and help us. All right, so, so that's where we're going tonight. We want to start diving into looking at some of those very specific rhythms. We're going to look at four or five tonight. But before we do, we captured a little video here. Some of you reflecting on what some of those rhythms and disciplines have been for you in your life. So direct your attention there. Watching TV. Movies. Podcasts. Uh, hunting. Taking care of chickens. Cub Scouts, Boy Scouts. Books. Cooking dinner. Fixing dinner. And changing lots of diapers. Say yes to the dress. Working out. Napping. Driving. Driving the kids from practice to practice. Cycling. Golf. Reading news articles. Yard work. Seminole sporting events. What free time? Being diligent about my morning routine. I recently got back into reading the Bible as much as possible, especially early in the morning. We do devotions in the morning with the kids prior to school, as well as at night when we put them to bed. Bible reading in the morning. Paul Tripp's New Morning Mercies devotional. And I'm really enjoying Paul Tripp's New Morning Mercies. I do the New Morning Mercy devotion. Paul Tripp's devotional, New Morning Mercies. Regular prayer time. We attend community group each week. Our community group girls text each other that we've read our Bible each morning. I learn and pray with other women in Bible study. It's easy for me to prioritize going to church on Sunday because I work here, but even before I worked at Four Oaks, it was a priority in my life because that's what we're called to do, to worship the Lord on Sunday. It's a joy, and it's just part of the rhythm of our lives. Church involvement is at the top of my list. Uh, Sunday worship is a non-negotiable. It's who we are, it's what we do, it's what we're made for. Our weekly routine involves church on Sunday mornings. We all look forward to time in the Word with our Forex family. For us, it's, it's more principle than it is practice, so we know that the blessing that comes with being in God's family. I mean, it's it starts to, uh, to inform your decisions. We're committed to teaching Sunday school each week. Sunday worship is a priority. It's just woven into all that we do. And everyone should bloody go to church. Thank you, Julie Alley. That was well done. That was super well done. You know, I wonder when, as you were putting together your, your rule and you're thinking about your rhythms and your routines, 
where being with God's people or being a part of your community group or worship, where that fit in. We're going to talk about that next week. But bring it, Jake, pull out your Bibles if you have them. And we're going to do what we did this, this past time. We're going to get some volunteers to read some passages, but we're going to also flash them on the screen because some of you were diligent. You didn't want to bring your electronic devices in here, but you, you didn't bring your Bible either. So we're, 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 going, to, we're going to help you here. Matthew 14, 23, who will, who will read that for us, Ron? I'm going to just start assigning. Mark 135, John Johnson. Okay, Luke 5, 16. Jan, you're, so, you're always diligent. Your rhythm is to sit on the front row. So you're reading Luke 5, 16. And then Luke 6, 12. Chris, all right. So just stand up, read them, and we'll flash them on the screen here for you. Right, there we go. Luke 5. Who's got Luke 5? Oh. Yeah, Jan. Stand. Oh, you got to stand. But he would withdraw to desolate places. Okay. Look, good. Luke 6, 12. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night. Great. Obviously, there's a, there's a theme running through these, these passages. And, and actually, I want us to talk for, for a few minutes about solitude. And, and listen to the way that, that Mike Cosper talks about solitude. And this is good. He says, solitude isn't an end to itself. It's rather like one half of a breath. It's the inhale. And life in community, life among our family, neighbors, coworkers, and friends is the exhale. It's meant to prepare us for all of life by rooting us firmly in the hiddenness that is ours in Christ, the covering of God's mercy. I wanted us to talk about solitude first for for a few reasons. One, we usually go straight to the word and prayer or or some other disciplines when we talk about these things. So I wanted to, to kind of shift it a little bit, but I wanted to shift it for a reason I think solitude is kind of the fulcrum. It's the, it's the pivot point upon which our rhythms sort of orbit around. It, everything, I think, in some way keys off of our ability and intentionality at creating space in our life. So, so we can, there's a number of, of disciplines we can endeavor to do. But the reality is, if we're in some specific way, don't have a strategy for carving out time, I mean like literal time, which is precious, we understand, in our lives, we, let's just be honest, we probably won't make much progress, okay? We probably won't make, 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 make as, or put it this way, we won't make as much progress as we want to make. And, and, and Cosper identifies th- three kind of ways to think about this for yourself, Okay, he talks about regular solitude, talks about little solitude, and then extended solitude. Okay, so so regular solitude. For those of you who have read the book, or even if you haven't, what might you guess that that involves? What 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 what's 
what's a, what's a, in, in a Christian discipline, spiritual discipline sort of way, what, what, what is a regular place of solitude as believers we should be seeking out? No? Okay, morning to, yes, what now? Quiet time, pray to, to, to be secluded, to, 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 to kind of carve out a portion of our day, again, whether you call it your devotional time, your quiet time, what have you. And, and now Linda said morning. Now, does it necessarily have to be the morning? And I say, maybe it does. Okay, we're going to come, come to that in a minute. I'm going to get all legalistic on you. Now, now, now understand, we have to think, why traditionally has, has morning been such a time for people? And, and the answers are obvious. It's when everybody else is sleeping, okay? It's, Mike shares the story where he gets up every morning at, at 5 a.m., and, and, and part of this is that his, what, some of you have kids who do this. They try to beat you to get up in the morning, right? Okay, you can be like, I'm going to get up at 4 this morning. I'm getting up before everybody, and they beat you to it. They're like, they're like in there watching Blue's Clues or something when you get up. So, so but, but morning, for a lot of other reasons, I think is, is, is important for us to think about in terms of strategy. Now, some of you may like work night shifts, or you may work, you know, second shift, like my dad, like my granddad did at the post office. And in and, and the nighttime, particularly if you don't have little kids and such, might be a more natural venue. But, but, but we see historically, this has always been a morning where Christians have been super strategic because that's when the break of day happens. That is when you are before the Lord you are embarking upon your day, you're committing your day to him versus, and, and uh, this has been in me at different times in my life, I have to be somewhere at eight, which means if I get up at 7.30, that's plenty of time, right? Okay, so, so you're, you're busting a move out the door, you're jumping in the shower, you're, you know, me, I'm, I'm blowing through the kitchen, I don't have time to eat breakfast, I don't have time to connect with anybody, I just, I've got to go here, I've got to go there, um, I'm off and running, and mentally, spiritually, my heart is unprepared. Mentally, spiritually, um, I'm, not, I'm not sinking with Christ in reality. Now, does that mean that God's Spirit does not go with me? Of course not. God's Spirit, we, we're looking at this in John 14, God's Spirit goes with us, God goes before us, um, there's no condemnation for us. But, but what do we miss in that sort of scenario? Communion, right? We miss, we miss spiritual mindedness. And so one of the things that Susan and I were talking to this couple recently, and, and again, these practices that I hold up to you are not necessarily for you to emulate in the same way. But at the same time, the Apostle Paul was very clear emulate who? Me, okay, as I've emulated Christ, okay? So we, we do need to look to, to models around us to say, hey, can I, can I learn something about the way you do things? And so this couple was really struggling spiritually, um, meaning not necessarily in their personal, quote-unquote, relationships with Christ, but maritally. So they just were struggling to get on the same page. They they were having difficulty praying together for having important conversations. Their kids were at an age where they were all up in their, you know, it's that, it's that terrible age with kids, and some of you might be there, where they get up like super early, but they don't want to go to bed either. And so it's kind of like you just, you're burning it at both ends. 
And they just reached a point where they had to decide, we're going to have to get super strategic about our morning time and about our morning routines. And they've kind of like over the last season, last number of years, they've gotten up at 5 a.m. and they've gone to it. They've, you know, so they're, they're doing a couple of things. Now, there, there's some private solitude. There's some couple praying. There is some, and again, though, that's not a rule for you, but at the same time, I would, it was inspiring to me, let me put it that way, to think about, there, you know, we always hear this, you know, well, God doesn't give us more than we can handle. Yes, he does, all the time, okay? Um, God gives us way more than we can handle so we can walk and depend upon him. But, but the hours in the day are precious. And I wonder, for me, how strategic have I really been in terms of thinking about how to maximize the time that God has, has given. So, so, so regular solitude, you just have to figure that out for yourself. We just simply point to, point to the example of Jesus to say that was clearly a regular rhythm for him. And, and we may say, well, we're too busy. Jesus was, was kind of busy, right? He was, he was kind of overwhelmed with ministry needs. So, so think about what that looks like for you, okay? So, so let me just say, stop here for a second. What's a time other than morning that has worked for someone here or that works for you? We love to hear, hear that and be encouraged by it. You're not, you're not flouting your right, you're not, you're not, you know, waving your righteousness flag. I really want to know. Yes, Rachel? And did you do that while you were watching HGTV or like at a different time? <laughs> okay, good. I'm glad you brought that up. That's really good because if you're going to make hay in the morning, which I really want to commend that to you, what is that going to mean for your nighttime routines? To go to bed, right? It's going gonna, it's gonna to mean something. It's going to make a claim on your nighttime deal too. You're going to have to think about that strategically. Like, okay, what are we doing here? And and am I just sort of like zoning out and like falling asleep in front of the TV or my computer screen or, you know, my phone or what have you? What, what is that going to look like for me? Okay, so, so regular moments of solitude. Mike also talks about little moments of solitude. Think with me just for a second. Just think about your day-to-day or maybe even the last couple of days. What, what are some places in your day where you found yourself waiting on something or someone. What were some of those things? Yes, Donna. Car. Yeah, car pickup. Okay, so you're sitting in that long line. They still haven't figured out how to do that after 30 years, right? But we're still sitting in that line. We're, we're waiting. Hey, what else? Between appointments. Maybe you're meeting somebody for coffee and they're just a little bit late, right? Okay, what, what are some other 
Other, maybe not so much here in Tallahassee, but in big cities, people are waiting in their cars all the time, right? So, so traffic. Other things. Gas Gas station. Okay. So here's the question. What do you do while you wait? Let's be honest. So some of you, like, what did you do when you found yourself waiting? What? Candy Crush. Candy Crush. Okay. (laughs) Are you serious? Okay, good, okay, Candy Crush. Wow. Some of y'all are still doing words with friends. Okay, we got it. So, or the little tile game, I'm, I'm still doing that. All right, so Candy Crush, thank you for your honesty. Today. I mean, thank you. I, think, I appreciate that. What are some other things, honestly? Facebook. Checking emails. This is such... That's right. You're on, you're on, you know, warchant.com or govalls.com. Who said something over here? 80s music. Yeah, guys, let me tell you, Ron can cut the rug in his 80s attire. Let me tell you, dude, he can bring it. All right. That's all, that's all I want to say. Yeah. I'm, my default, I'm looking, I'm going to the phone for something. Okay. Isn't it amazing? It has such a draw. It's like a gravitational pull. It's like, it, it's the one thing that sort of beckons to you. It's like there's just so much, so many possibilities right there. And, and clearly, you, you get where we're going here. He talks about this idea of breath prayers. And I think this is under pathway one, I think it is. And, and, and breath prayers are, are self-explanatory. There are those things that you do, that you say, that you pray to God, whether it's a scripture passage, whether it's something on your heart, and he kind of gave a number of examples, okay? So, so for you, that might be Philippians 1 or Psalm 23 or a snippet of a, of a hymn or a song or something. And, and what, is the, what is the design behind the breath prayer? To, to reconnect you to reality. You know, I can spend, I mean, if I spend more than five minutes on, on Fox News or CNN or something, very clearly and quickly, that becomes, it, well, I'm not getting into fake news, but that is reality, right? I mean, that is like, oh my gosh, this is going on and that's going on and what are we going to do? And we got to do this and we got to do this. And, and it, it's a rhythm that shapes, that shapes my soul. It, 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 it will probably, it, it probably in some way will shape, shape your soul. And so Paul's admonition to pray without ceasing Paul, Paul is not talking about going around and chanting. Paul's not talking about going around and doing, you know, something with his, with his rosary beads or something, some kind of incantation. That's not what he's talking about. He, he's talking about being in a state of spiritual mindedness, a state of prayer. You know, we're, we're walking into the building. We're walking, we're walking into work. We're walking to our appointment. We are, you know, and we're just set praying God, you know, um, in you I live and move and have our being, in my being. You know, God, you've made the world and everything in it. God, I'm praying for this person. I'm praying for this appointment. I'm praying for, for what I'm doing. And so my guess is, even if you feel like your day is so squeezed, there, probably for most of us there is some point where you can apply little solitude. Does that make sense? Okay. This last one, before we move on, Extended solitude, granted, is much more challenging and difficult on the surface than, than these other two. Because, again, we're talking about 
more than simply 30 minutes in the morning or 45 minutes in the morning. We're talking about, hey, is there, is there a block of time? Is there, is, there some, is there some window, whether it's for a few hours or a few days, where I can, I can simply be with God, where I can sort of be undistracted, alone, praying, reading, fasting, what, whatever it is. And, and that can be, depending on where you are in life, that can be a, a, a real, real challenge, okay? It can be a challenge whether you work full-time or you're a stay-at-home mom. You're like, Pastor Paul, I love, I would love some extended prayer time. What time am I dropping the kids off at the office over there, okay? I mean, you're, you know, th- that, might be, that might be part of the reality. But husbands and wives, if, if, you're, if, you're, if you're married here, strategize about this, okay? And start small. Okay, don't, don't, go for, don't go for three days because after 36 hours, you'll be like, I don't know what I'm, I mean, like, I mean, don't do that. Go for like two hours, um, whether it's a Saturday morning and one of you is off doing this, that, or the other, or, you know, you're, you're put the kids down and one of, the, one of the spouses is doing something at night instead of flipping on the TV. Again, start small, but begin to build that discipline in your life. Sometimes, let me just say this. Sometimes, you know, we think about quiet times as like this glorious, you know, the, God reveals his Shekinah glory and he comes down and he opens our heart and we feel so encouraged. That does not always happen, okay? I don't think it's ever happened for me. Anyway, no, it, 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 it doesn't happen like that always. And sometimes devotional time can be hard, can it? You're like laboring in prayer and God's showing you some ugly stuff about your heart and you're confessing and you're having to kind of bring that to him and you need some space in order to deal with it. Sometimes, and, I, and I've, Susan and I have talked about this in terms of when we will go on vacation or, or what have you, when we start to create some of that space, sometimes it takes our bodies, our minds, our hearts, our souls time to sort of readjust and to sort of like we like realize I've been going on adrenaline you know, for the past month or the past six weeks or the past week. And when you slow down, your body's like all discombobulated. But when you do that, things begin to come up, okay? Your body like begins to have space. The Holy Spirit has room to work, brings things to mind, bring thing, brings things up. Sometimes you, many times you just need some bit of space in order to allow that to happen. Again, I'd love to hear from, from any of you what, what, what are things that might have worked for you in terms of any of you who've had maybe some spiritual success in like extended solitude? Going once, going twice. <laughs> All right, go ahead, Melissa. Yep. Yeah, you should. <laughs> I was doing this Yeah, you may want to do so. That's a great. So, 
like doing like activity, walking, hiking, those are not like mutually exclusive things. Like those are things that you can really, again, they create space to engage with the Lord. Uh, Mike, did you have some, somebody up? Oh, good. That's a great idea. So invite, tell someone you're going to take them out to lunch, okay? And and then when you get there, be like, we're going to (laughs) pray. No, tell them ahead of time, right? We're going to tell them ahead of time. All right, second thing, all right, prayer and scripture. I combine these because I'm actually going to do some, I'm going to spend a little less time on this because these are the two we most, most consistently do talk about in our Christian faith. I think some of these others that, we're, that I'm going to mention, we, we, we do less with. But Mike's quote from page 69, he says, I think this is, this is really good. Like, if, like, this is a good one. Like, if you find yourself, it's hard to slow down. Like, it's hard to, like, be disciplined and sit. Like, you get antsy or you're like, this feels so inefficient. Like, I can't be praying right now. I've got to be, like, doing X total indication of disenchantment. Totally, okay? Um, But he says, I think much of our hunger for spectacle and hype comes from a lack of imagination. To find ourselves captivated by the scriptures requires an active mind, an engaged imagination. It's the imagination that brings this world to life. So if you think about the, The Wizard of Oz, I think it was released in 1939, and that movie was particularly known, I mean, besides the munchkins. Okay, well, what else was it particularly known for? It was in color, or at least the, the biggest part of it was. But the front and the back of the movie were all in black and white. And, and really, that is a story, I mean, not to get into this here, but of enchantment and disenchantment. It's like, here's, here's the world and its shadow lands. Here's like reality um, as, as it really is. And I think a lot of us, kind of have this idea that we live in technicolor. Like, we're, 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 in, we're in Oz, okay? And this is the way things are, and we really see, and we're in color. And to go do the spiritual disciplines, that's like boring, that's in black and white, you know, that's... And it's exactly the opposite. It's exactly the opposite. And so if some of this is a little, like, discouraging to you, like, man, I'm Pastor Paul, I'm so far from this. Oh, my gosh, I feel like I'm starting from ground zero. Like anything, this just takes practice. It just, it, it, it's habitual. Some of you have been doing this for 40 years. Some of you have not been doing this for 40 days. And so, so we need, so there's, there's grace in this for us. But one of the perennial questions that, that we often get is, well, Pastor Paul, when I set aside this 30 minutes, when I set aside this 45 minutes, wh- what do I do? Like, what, what do I, what do I actually do during that time? And, and I'm, I'm, I'm so excited to tell you that there is not one singular biblical prescription. We are not commanded to read through the Bible in a year, okay? We're, we're, we're not. Now, I think it's a great practice. I totally commend it to you. There's some resources I'm going to direct you to, but not necessarily, okay? Sometimes it might be, I mean, what you could get by camping out in the Psalms for a year, okay, or the wisdom literature for a year and just like going super deep, 
okay? Really focusing in, really honing in, really, you know, reading commentaries and, and all the, can, can be incredibly fruitful. But let me, let me recommend a, a few resources for you. Of course, I'd be remiss if I didn't recommend New Morning Mercies by Paul Tripp, okay? So, so, so clearly, we're going to recommend that one. Morning and Evening by Charles Spurgeon. If you can find anything by Charles Spurgeon, just devour it, okay? You can Google Charles Spurgeon, any text, any sermon. I mean, it is, he was the prince of preachers, unbelievable. The modern day Charles Spurgeon, John Piper, A Godward, a Godward Life, um, and he has several volumes of this. And again, if you're just like, I need a kind of a little jump start, I need kind of like a little spiritual taste on my taste buds to kind of get me moving in the morning, or, 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 or these are awesome just to read right before bed. Those, those would be really good. There, there's a number of Bible reading plans if you do want to read through the Bible in a systematic way. Tim, can we flash some of these? Okay, so if you go to Ligonier.org, um, and Tim, can you scroll up and down there just, for, or is that just a still picture? It, anyway, there, there's, a, there's Robert McShane Murray's Bible reading plan. You can read the Bible in two years. You can read through in a year. You can read a chapter a day. There's just a hundred different different ways that you can do that. One of these that I recommended on Sunday morning a couple of weeks ago by, by a good pastor friend of mine out in California, the well, gracebaptist.org. By the way, has anybody tried this? Anybody tried this? Yes. I, any success with it, Robert? Yes. So what, what happens is that on, on, in the morning... You will get, now it's, they're on West Coast time, so you get it at seven, and so sometimes our people in our family, we have to go a day behind. But anyway, it gives you two chapters to read, uh, a brief commentary, but not so brief, it's useless, but not so much that it's like laborious, do you know what I mean? And it kind of just orients you to the passage, what's happening, and um, it'll send you through the Bible in, in two years. It's five days a week, uh, two chapters a day, you can use your weekends to catch up. Because there's a hundred, there's a hundred, there's the, the ESV um, Bible reading plan. There's a discipleship journal Bible reading plan. These are all really good things to, again, they're tools. They're tools. He mentions some other tools, okay? So he talks about using a couple of these prayers, like the prayer of Ignatius or the, the prayer of Examen, where, where you are coming before the Lord and you are, you're asking, you're going through kind of a, a, a sequence of things, one of the things that I would really commend to you that he does as well, a lot of times, you know, John Piper says that he will not, this is, again, this is a principle, this is his practice, doesn't have to be yours, but he talks about how he will not read the word for more than two minutes without praying, and he won't pray for more than two minutes without reading the word. Now, now why, is he, why does he do that? Well, one is like if you're just plowing through your Bible reading and your scripture reading, and you're sort of like, I'm on a checklist mentality, right? And dad, I'm 150 days behind Bible reading on December 31st. I've got to catch up, okay? That's not fun, okay? Especially as you're going through Leviticus. But, it, but it's a very underrated book. I would, you know, that, we'll come back to that sometime. But so, so there, you, you, you know, I totally lost my train of thought on Leviticus. Anyway, so, so, no, so, so you can use particular prayers to be thinking about things. You can also be praying. Okay, oh, John Piper. So he, 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 the reason he does this 
is that it doesn't become academic on one hand, but also that it doesn't become like creepy on the other. Like, you know, remember, as we were talking about in John 14, the spirit and the word never are in conflict. Those are always together. So Jesus says, I'm going to send you my helper who's going to help you remember everything that I said. What did Jesus say? It's, it's his words. It's his teaching. It's what we have in the New Testament. And so those two things always sync up. They always go together. And so a lot of times if our prayers are not in turn informed by the word, we can be all sorts of crazy places, okay? People have heard from God in all sorts of, of unbiblical ways through prayer times because their prayers aren't tethered to Scripture. You know, God told me to, to, to leave my spouse. God told me to X, Y, Z. God told me, and, and sometimes that can happen because we're not tethering the word in our prayer together. So one of the, um, the practices Mike commends is just praying the Psalms. Praying the Psalms. Read Psalm 1 as you're reading through Psalm 1, praying that um, blessed is the man. Okay, who does not walk in the counsel of wicked, stand in the seat, you know, you know the whole thing, uh, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Lord, I want to be that kind of person. Lord, I, I don't want to walk with the wicked. I don't want to, I want to, I want to, I want to walk after you, I want to walk with your people. So there's a number of, of, of things you can do there. Journaling helps a ton. I'll just be honest, when I, the times that I feel most fruitful in my spiritual time, I'm usually writing or journaling in some way. Now, understand, I'm not one to go back and read my journal, okay? I, I don't, it, I re, anytime I accidentally do that, it creeps me out, okay? And so, but, because I'm like, oh my gosh. Um, but, I, but it helps me while I'm doing what I'm doing, okay? I'm praying for something, I'm reading something, I'm reflecting on something. I don't say I don't ever go back and read it, but you, you get what I'm saying, okay? So, so that can be a real fruitful exercise for, for, for some of us. Okay, l- l- let, me, let me spend these last minutes we have on these two that I think get less attention. These are spiritual disciplines, pathways, rhythms that get less attention. All right, who can read Matthew 5, 16 through 18? Debbie Cunningham, I think you want to read that. Matthew 9, 14 through 15. Can you do that? Yeah, Matthew 9, 14 through 15. Mike Tillerson, read that. Acts 13, 2 through 3. Who wants to do it? All right, J. Johansson. Read up. Yes, you can do that. Okay, I think I gave you the wrong passage. My fault. That was, that was totally my fault. Okay. So you can sit down now. Anyway, if I can get a couple of people read the other ones, and I'll find the right passage. It's chapter 6. Okay. Somebody read the next passage for us that I assigned. Who? <laughs> Sorry. Tillotson. New Testament. No, Yep. Yeah. 
Great. And then, Jay. All right, let me, oh, let me read the, um, the one I, I misassigned to Debbie, sorry. Okay, it's, it's Matthew 6. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may be seen by others, not by others, but by your Father who is in heaven. One of the things I'll just point out, is that nowhere in the New Testament does it assume that, f- that, that we no longer are to fast. So now, now, granted, when Jesus' disciples were with him, they did not fast. The Pharisees, don't you just, the Pharisees, okay? So they're, they're like, why don't you fast? And Jesus said something interesting. Well, while the bridegroom's here, no, we're not going to fast. The, the, the party's here. But when I leave, what happens? They're going to fast, Okay, there is a presumption in the New Testament, um, and that this is a continuity that we have with the Old Testament. That as believers, we are invited to fast. So, what does Jesus say? If you fast, what does he say? When, okay, when when you fast, we know this carried over into the early church as well. The passage Jay just read from Acts. They were, and there's many others like them. They're, they're sitting around, they're praying, they're seeking the Lord. And part of that is they are fasting. I think um, Mike Cosper has a great quote about fasting. He says, dissatisfaction is the fuel of consumerism. And coupled with fear and anxiety, it drives us to all kinds of frenetic spending, grabbing, and hoarding. So, it's interesting, I don't think it's, in, I think he kind of basically says this, it's, it's no coincidence that the more disenchanted our culture has become, the less fasting is in vogue. Does that make sense? Because fasting is only born out of a conviction that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Let's be honest we can go through our day and not feel a lack of anything materially. Now, we may have all sorts of corrupt wants and desires that we are, that we are pursuing, that we need, that we think we need when we really don't. But in terms of fasting, fasting is always born out of this conviction that this life is not all that I need at all. What I really need is the Lord. You know, fasting flourishes in cultures where materialism does not reign. Where, where there is a profound sense of need, where, where, and I don't mean just materially, okay, but I mean spiritually as, as well. Fasting only makes sense where the material is not ultimate, okay? And one of the things that I say under generosity, I'll, I'll read the quote, then we'll come back to fasting. Materialism, ism, which is idolatry, materialism deadens our hearts to spiritual realities. Then I go on to say generosity is the antidote to this deadly disease. Fasting is also an antidote. Now, let me just say this right up front, just so you know, I stink at fasting, okay? Terrible at it, okay? So if, if 
if I start going more than 20 minutes without caffeine, my head like pounds, okay? If, if I'm kidding you not, if I, if I get to 11 a.m. and I haven't had anything to eat, my body like starts to shake and compl- it's so addicted to who knows what to, it, it's addicted to, right? And so a lot of people really lose their way on this. And it's like, I'm going to do the Bill Bright 40-day fast first thing, okay? Good luck, okay? We'll send the ambulance to pick you up, okay, after it's all over. I had a friend who tried this many, many, many years ago. And like day 33, he was just like writhing in pain. He just didn't, he didn't know how to do it. Talk to your doctor. Talk to Ron Machado. He'll tell you how to do it. But start simple, okay? A couple things he says. Start simple. Yeah, so, so yeah, Ron says, don't do it. Start simple. In other words, try a, you know, sundown to sundown fast. So in other words, eat dinner, okay, at a normal time, <laughs> six o'clock, whatever. Don't eat again until dinner the next night. Take, I mean, it's just, that's, that's, maybe that, that's, that's manageable for you. And, and use that time in the morning, use that time at lunch, use that time whenever to really think and pray and pick a focus, he says. Pick a focus. Like, I'm not just going to pray, you know, fast in general. I, I'm going to fast and I'm going to pray for uh, the Nizers in, in Morocco. I'm going to pray for... Um, this particular physical need in the body. I'm going to pray for this marriage. I'm going to pray for this relationship. I'm going to, I'm going to pray for this global initiative thing that's happening. But, but pick a focus. And then he says, begin to stretch yourself a little bit. Okay, a little bit. And, and this is one of the disciplines when you fail and when you don't do well, it's the most discouraging. It can be the most discouraging and I would just simply say, encourage, encourage all of us to, to, to start small, to, to pick a focus, and to use that time to remind ourselves when we're hungry, when we're in need, when we're in some sort of discomfort, that we, we don't live by bread alone. Now, a, good, a couple of good resources. Um, I read this many years ago. Uh, Hunger for God, we're not going to have it up here. It's Hunger for God by John Piper, based on a series of sermons that he did. It's outstanding. It is is excellent. Um, I really commend that to you. That's that's one way to combat materialism. A second way, we're going to wind up on this one, relates to generosity. Can somebody read 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 18? That's the only passage we'll read. 1 Timothy 16, 17 through 18. First, Tim, we have that one. First Timothy 6, 17 through 18. Good. Who'll read it? Matt Rousseau, stand up and read that thing. Okay. <laughs> I taught you better in youth group than that. Go ahead. Okay. Guys, all through the New Testament, it's assumed that's, that many in this life will have abundance. Okay? Now, there is a, a warning earlier in Timothy not to desire, and that word there is like to covet riches. Okay? But we know from the New Testament there was many wealthy people, patrons, um, Mary and Martha and their family, Lazarus. They, they were clearly supported Jesus in his ministry. And so, so, so a lot of us find ourselves with material goods either by... Um, I mean, all by providence, but whether it's by family or vocation or, or what have you, 
so, so Paul, Paul, Paul really more says, okay, be rich in good deeds. And, 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 and in doing so, there, there, again, this is a, a rhythm. Did you know that giving is a rhythm? It's a rhythm that shapes our hearts. Now, now, it's very true that we give our money and our resources and time towards the things that have captured our hearts. That's totally true. Okay? Look at your check, look at mine or your credit card statement. We find out what we love. We get that. But it also works in reverse. Okay? The treasure principle, Randy Alcorn, that our hearts are shaped by our habits. Our hearts are shaped by our rhythms. And so when we practice the discipline, the rhythm of giving, God begins to, to pry away, like we sang a minute ago, our fingers around those things that we feel are most ultimate in our lives. And he thinks, he, he puts this into to kind of three, three little subcategories. Think about your own generosity, okay? We're going to do this, then the pipers are going to uh, come up and talk for a second. One is gospel ministry. And, and, and for, the, for the New Testament Christian, we believe that's the local church, that there's a principle where spiritual authority and care and blessing and ministry happen as that is the locus of your life, that is the, the, the locus of your giving. Mercy, those are those things that you decide, hey, I, I, I just want to use that as a blessing in other people's lives. And Mike Cosper talks about all these, whether it's I'm giving to this cause or I'm helping this neighbor or I'm providing these resources. I'm so, this, this is sort of my, this is sort of the, the you know, if gospel ministry is, is my first fruits, mercy is kind of like my, my overflow. And then hospitality. Those opportunities, and we're going to talk about this in much more detail next week as a family rhythm, okay? That part of your generosity as a family uh, relates to hospitality. Is that a rhythm in your life of inviting people either into your home or into your life or into your, into your sphere? We're not going to go unpack these in detail, obviously, now. But page 108, that is a great little orientation, okay, to, to, to be thinking about how generosity can function as a spiritual rhythm in your life. Okay, so let me stop because I'm going to go ahead and invite, you want to do the video first, Rob? Okay. Any quick questions about any of these five things, four or five things that we talked about? Yes, Stephanie. Yeah, the question was, would we ever do a church-wide fast? And we have done church-wide, you know, prayer things, gatherings. We've encouraged people to fast. But I think we could do a lot better job of intentionally directing people towards that. Absolutely. We've had youth group fasts. We've fasted as elders. We've done different things like that. Yep, absolutely. Which have been really, I think, meaningful in a lot of ways. Other questions? I'm going to direct your attention up here, and Shannon and Rob are going to come um, talk to you just for a second before we dismiss. Let me just say, our last session next week, as we've been talking about kind of personal, private rhythms, we're going to sort of press into what I would kind of call community rhythms, corporate rhythms, rhythms we want to have as a church that kind of gets to Stephanie's question, rhythms we want to have as a family at home, um, as, a, as a household that really shape us spiritually as well. Okay, Rob and Shannon are, 
our uh, student ministries pastor, our children's director, and um, they're going to update you just on a few things as you guys kick off into the fall. I'm going to direct your attention there. wrestling and in my doubts in my failures you won't walk out your great love will lead me through you are the peace in my troubled sea whoa you are the peace in my troubled sea in the silence you won't let go Questions your truth will hold. Your great love will lead me through. You are the peace in my troubled sea. Whoa, you are the peace in my troubled sea. My lighthouse, my to shore, safe to shore, safe to shore. As you guys can see, we have a ton of cute kids. They're all back there right now, and they all have hot dog breath. So get ready for that on the ride home, just saying. <laughs> they do. <laughs> We have um, we have so many kids, and we love serving them on Sunday mornings. We have had such a great summer in Four Oaks. Kids, we had our first ever Whatever You Do camp. If you missed the ukulele choir concert playing Here Comes the Sun up here, y'all missed it. It was epic. We had all kinds of fun stuff going on this summer in our summer in Acts in the youth room. And in a couple weeks, we're ready to kick off our school year programming with our regular Sunday morning classrooms, both services for babies through fourth grade, and we are super excited about this fall year. We've been studying the gospel through the Gospel Project for Kids, which is a chronological study of the whole Bible. And we're coming to the end of that, finally, after four, almost four years in it. We're going to finish up uh, with Revelation at Christmas time. So, like, nothing says Merry Christmas, baby Jesus, like Jesus with the flaming sword coming out of his mouth and all that fun stuff. So that's going to be really fun. I'm excited about that. <laughs> But we, um, we have quite a few needs still in Four Oaks Kids for volunteers. A ton of our volunteers are coming back this year, and we're excited about that. But we could definitely use a few more. If you guys are at all interested in serving and making that part of your rhythm, um, serving our church by serving our kids one of our services, I would love to talk to you about that. We have needs in all of our areas, preschool, elementary, and um, nursery, but especially preschool. And the preschoolers are the cutest, and they say the funniest things. So trust me on that one. I'd love to talk to you about that. That's our little kids. Now you get to look at our big kids. Kindness raised me up. 
What you're seeing up there is our 5th through 12th grade students, otherwise known as Four Oaks Youth. And uh, the best way I would describe our youth group and our ministry that we're doing is we're seeking to be just a, a gospel-centered community that is pursuing after Christ. And the community part of it, what we look at doing is creating an environment that are three things, belong, believe, become. We want the community to be something that the students understand that they belong no matter what school they go to, no matter what walk of life. They belong in this church. They belong in the ministry. But we also want to be teaching them the gospel so that they understand what it means to believe in Jesus Christ. And as they do that, they become a follower of Christ. And so that's kind of the the, the ethos of what we seek to create. And what you see in that video or what, you see other adults coming alongside the youth of our church. And that's a big part of what our ministry does. We value the home. We value that the fact that the home is where discipleship takes place. But at the same time, we need other adults in the life of our youth. As a dad of teenagers, I need other parents and other adults in the lives of my kids. And that's what we need you to be. So if you would like to help out in any of these areas, We have Sunday morning things going on with our 5th through 8th grade. We have Wednesday night things going on through our 7th through 12th grade. And we also have some Sunday night groups where our high schoolers get together for some deep discipleship. And I would love to talk to you about any of those areas if you're interested. So as you can see, infant all the way up through 12th grade, uh, we have a lot of opportunities for everybody to serve. And Shannon and I would love to talk to you if you're interested. So thanks for sitting through that. I know it's been a long night, but I think it's been a good time in the Word and us coming together. So let me do this. Let me, let me pray for us, and then we can be dismissed.